Mike. Lauren. Mike, I wrote you a poem for Valentine's Day, the day that we're taping this. Would you uh, like to hear it? Of course I would. Okay. Oh, chat GPT, my virtual love, you shine like stars in skies above. Your knowledge vast, your wit so bright, you guide me through both day and night. That's it? No, I mean, it goes on, but it's, it's oh. quite long. So you say you wrote me a poem, but mm -hmm. that sounds a lot like a love poem for chat GPT. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah, it's it's by chat GPT for chat GPT. It's not only the president, it's also a client. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like self-love for the for the chat bot. Yes. Uh, how many people do you think use chat GPT to write love poems for their loved ones this week? A lot. <laughs> like a lot. How many... People do you think use the new Microsoft Bing or Google Bard to write love poems for their loved ones this week? That is a question we're going to try to answer today as we stare down our very, very weird chatbot future. Awesome. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. And I'm Michael Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired. We are also joined in studio this week by Wired senior writer Will Knight, who's normally in Cambridge. Will, it's great to have you here. Thanks for having me. So earlier today, Will and I went to a generative AI event here in San Francisco. Generative AI is being talked about as one of the most transformative technologies we've seen in years. Not because it's brand new necessarily, but because it's changing the way we think about search and it's accelerating so darn fast. The event that we went to was hosted by Jasper AI, a company that sells generative AI tools to other businesses. So in full disclosure, we are recording this show a couple of days before it airs, and we're hoping that it won't feel too out of date by the time you hear it a couple of days later, though given how fast AI seems to be evolving, maybe it won't be too much of a surprise. We're going to talk more about the Jasper AI event later in the show. And, um, Will, I might make you freestyle rap for us. So let's put a pin in that. But <laughs> first, we need to set the stage. Over the past couple of weeks, we've seen some major announcements from both Google and Microsoft in the field of generative AI. So start us off with Google. What happened there? So Google announced uh, its version of ChatGPT called Bard. Um, and they are sort of scurrying around trying to figure out their strategy. They seem to have been caught very flat-footed by ChatGPT's success and Microsoft, you know, against all odds, kind of rebooting Bing to use it. Um, so they're basically trying to, to, to sort of show that they can, they can keep up in search, which seems like a very weird thing to say about Google. And Google literally announced Bard a day before last week's Microsoft event. Right. Yeah, they're trying to gazump Microsoft clearly by doing that. Um, and they didn't they didn't show it doing actually an awful lot of stuff in search. They showed some sort of limited capabilities. And um, I think they're going to make it only very, uh, only available to a limited number of people and a, and a small version of it. So it's not really clear what it's going to do exactly. So not a lot of people listening to this have had access to this tool or even know that much about it. Um, can you describe like what is the interface like? How does it work? For Bard, this is... For, for Bard and for ChatGPT and for any of the other uh, sort of when people talk about, you know, generative AI chatbots. Right, right. Being used in search. I feel like everybody, everybody I meet has tried ChatGPT. But yeah, so basically, you know, we're used to chatbots where you, you ask it a question or say a couple of things and they go completely off the rails and they're terrible. Um, this is a this is a chatbot. 
uh, where you can throw in whole sentence, sentences, complex requests, and it will spit out very coherent answers often, usually. Um, they actually kind of feel like magic because they're so sophisticated sometimes. You can ask it to like spin out a sonnet in the style of, you know, um, Jerry Seinfeld or something. And it does it in a really quite impressive way. And Hold, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does sort of feel like magic. And that's one of the reasons people are losing their minds is because it, it's, it's so capable. And it also, what it does makes you think that there must be real intelligence behind the, the scenes. But it, it is a it is kind of a dramatic shift in the capabilities of chatbots, which have been around since the beginning of AI. We've had these things which just followed kind of basic rules, you, you would say, if, if a person says, hello, reply, hello. And this this is a completely different, fundamentally different sort of technology. And it feels like already ChatGPT has become the like the Kleenex brand of this because we keep saying ChatGPT, but we're referring to a few different things. So ChatGPT is OpenAI's technology, and it's based on GPT-3 tech. But there are other tech companies using that same exact tech, like Bing, like Microsoft Bing, because right. they have a partnership. Yeah. And like Jasper, right, which we saw more of today. Right. Google's is different, right? Yeah. So Google invented some of the fundamental technology, AI tech that went into G G GPT and chat GPT. They actually did, yeah, some of the most important work. And this is why it sucks particularly for them. Um, but th it's their version, which is is different. I mean, it's essentially the same kind of AI that they're using, but they're, they're it's a different kind of... Uh, it's a different technology at the, at the hub, yeah. I saw somebody say on the internet the other day that we've spent a couple of decades now telling our parents not to write entire questions into the Google <laughs> search box, you know, to right. just ask like very clean queries. And now we're going back to like full questions. We're basically going back to ask Jeeves, I like to say. Yeah, yeah. you know, that's that's interesting because there is like a an accepted vernacular that's in all of our brains for asking a question of a search engine, right? Like we all know the way that you, like the syntax that you use to phrase a question when you're typing something in. And then we sort of had to adjust that with voice assistants, right? Things like Siri or Google Assistant or Alexa, where we had to learn how to phrase a question so that it would understand us properly and give us the answer we were looking for. But is there like a vernacular gap or a syntax gap with these tools? Or are they truly just anybody can ask a question uh, in, you know, in a, in a completely natural way and it gives a good answer? That's a good question. I think you can ask it pretty much an open-ended question. Um, and have it often give a really good answer. One of the things that's fascinating and feels feels almost like magic um, is the the fact that the researchers doing this are often like we don't we didn't realize that this stuff this AI model would do what it's doing now. And one of the things that happens is you can do a kind of back and forth conversation with sometimes with these models to get them to behave in ways that you couldn't necessarily do with a single prompt because they have this kind of short short term memory. Mm. So it's um. Yeah, it's it's kind of bizarre. And you can definitely speak to them in a so much more of a natural way. But I don't want to make it sound like they are, you know, a, it's AGI, it's solved AI, because it's all smoke and mirrors in some ways. Like what it actually comes up with is has zero understanding. And it really looks like it's it understands what it's saying. And it's so it's so convincing in that way. But it's just a complete bizarre sort of the, the, the thing is that, the, that they talk about is these models hallucinate. Um, and that's what it's doing. Like, like it's kind of fundamental to the way they work is that they they sort of make stuff up. Um, and sometimes <laughs> sometimes that's that's they're, they're making stuff up which is based on what they've seen, and they're they're kind of coming up with an answer. So they they 
to generate these answers, but sometimes they're generating things that don't exist. So it's a problem for search, right? If you say, and this is what people have found with with Bing, the few people who've got access to it, it's been really fascinating to watch people posting things where they're like, it's just making up stuff that isn't true about, like it's giving a review of something that, you know, some of the details are completely wrong and it looks really convincing. So it's- It's a master bullshitter. It's a consummate bullshitter, yeah. It's kind of fantastic. <laughs> One of the things that Microsoft was criticized for last week um, is that the new AI-powered Bing was analyzing earnings reports and actually produced incorrect numbers for brands like Lululemon and The Gap. Um, how concerned should people be about the amount of misinformation that's being spit out in these early stages of chatbot search? And do researchers anticipate that it will evolve beyond this stage? I think we should be really concerned about it. I Yeah, I think it's kind of amazing that they've rushed this into, they being Microsoft, rushed this into being so quickly. I mean, they saw an opportunity to sort of you know, hit Google, um, but I think it's a huge problem. You can't have, I mean, it's it's a real problem if people are thinking that that is accurate, right? That's that's massive. I I think it's unsolved um, how you make them speak the truth, but I I have seen I've heard people say that they think it's going to be solved. You know, the sort of the architects of some of these language models say they think they could, it'll be solved in the next couple of years. I don't know that they know how to do it though, so it's be interesting to watch that. I know that there are ethical considerations in the discussion, right? Um, particularly bias in the way that the the models are trained, uh, the data sets that that they use to train the models, and also the fact that um, you are basically sampling people's work and remixing it and spitting it out uh, without giving credit to the people who did the work. Uh, so what? guardrails have we seen uh, the companies who are implementing this technology in their search put up in order to prevent these these things from becoming a bigger problem? What, right. They've, they've definitely put a bunch of guardrails in terms of trying to reduce problems like bias or hateful language. They put they put effort into that. And um, but it's it's really insidious. It's difficult to sometimes to even spot that, you know, the biases in, in the language people use or the way uh, visual representations or images on the web have certain biases. When it comes to copyright uh, copyrighted works, I I don't think they've I don't know what they've done. It seems like they just scraped everything and uh, go behind the paywall and take everybody's artwork and remix it. And to me, it, that's I, I I do sympathize a lot with the artists, uh, maybe because I'm a writer, but I also just it just feels like they're kind of laundering copyright to some degree when they when they can produce these artworks which very clearly you can see echoes of people's stuff in it i don't know that it i mean it's just an untested sort of legal um question whether you can just it doesn't you know because you trained on that doesn't mean you're reproducing the copyright i guess it, it doesn't but it but it it's, it seems an ethical conundrum to me on that note, I'm a person who writes and edits product reviews on the web, and I noticed during the Bing presentation last week, one of the things they showed was a, a demo where the person giving the demonstration typed into the chat GPT-enabled Bing, what's the best vacuum cleaner? And it went and looked at all of these product reviews on the web and then made suggestions based on what it found on the web for product reviews. And you know, I can see a future one or two steps away from that, where the person can then purchase the vacuum cleaner without ever having read any of the reviews that were scraped in order to present them with that information. And I want to know who gets the affiliate revenue. 
That's a great question. Yeah, I mean, at some point, this this whole model breaks down, right? If no, if the people writing the reviews don't get any revenue, there's not going to be anything to feed into the AI models. I, I mean, and it, I think it's a real one of the problems for Google is that this this kind of breaks down their traditional search business, right? It doesn't have the same. If you're synthesizing a bunch of websites into like a succinct answer, you're not directing people like through advertising. Or through, you know, you're not directing people to websites, and you can't serve advertising on the same in the same way. So I think it's a it's a real conundrum to them, and I I do wonder whether some of this is just Microsoft messing with Google rather than actually like really thinking this is going to revolutionize search necessarily. Yeah, well, well it's comforting either way. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, I think what you're flicking at is how long before these chatbot powered search engines take our jobs. You know, the one thing that gives me comfort about the journalism industry is that we're all going down together. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, <laughs> let's just end the podcast. No, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back. So as I mentioned earlier, Will and I today went to an event in San Francisco hosted by Jasper AI, which is a generative AI company that sells its software tools to other businesses. And one of the big questions that kept coming up at the event today, both on stage and in the hallway conversations I had, was whether or not this new generative AI is going to lead to the loss of jobs. And not just that, but whether generative AI is so good at making art that it's not just sparking our creativity, it's surpassing it. So Will, what surprised you most at the Jasper AI event today? And do you get the sense that generative AI is going to take our jobs? There were a few things that came up during some of the technical panels that surprised me just because the technology underneath it is moving really quickly. And some of the things that people said there were sort of a bit of a surprise. Uh, much of the stuff around um, jobs uh, and AI wasn't new to me. And I think it really kind of, was a bit of an oversimplification or it was it was a bit of a a shot in the dark really because I so I I recently talked to some economists who, whose job it is to study this and they have said one thing is that this generative stuff does seem new compared to what AI could do before so it is a new type of um, technology but they have absolutely no idea how it's going to affect jobs and, um, and I think it, you 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 know if you look at studies of how AI affects different work it, it often is quite very, very dependent on the job. Um, and it will, in, in many cases, just sort of change the way people work. So I, I just think that this kind of idea that it's it's going to replace people uh, in whole, you know, whole segments is kind of too simple. So um, that's, not a, that's not a really comforting answer. <laughs> um, but I mean, as you can look at the way that one of the things I was interested in when I first heard about Jasper was that the people using it really seemed to love it. It was no, it wasn't the case that it, you know, I didn't find anybody who was like, this is terrible. It's taken my job. So it seemed like it was just helping them churn out more stuff. Yeah, there was a lot of emphasis on that right? from Jasper AI, like showing stats, you know, for clients like Morningstar and Mongoose to show like how much more content they're just putting right. out there into the universe. And, you know, yeah, and that can in sort of a knock on effect that can mean that other people don't go into that work or get displaced. And I just don't know. And I don't know that there's enough to sort of really say how it's going to going to do that. I think we're we're at like the peak of the mountain for hype. Yes. On this right now. Yes. So, you know, everybody's talking about how it's going to revolutionize every industry. And we've seen, you know, uh generative AI text-based chatbots do things like write news articles, write computer code, 
marketing blog posts, uh, customer service interactions. It's pretty good at those things. Uh, you know, it's very early. But what are the things that emerged as like the most promising applications for it today? Well, I don't know if this is the most promising, but what surprised me a little bit about the conference was seeing an enterprise company like Jasper leaning so hard into art and creativity. Um, these kinds of conferences are typically very sales-driven and goal-oriented. Like it's people networking and talking about CRMs and OKRs. I mean, that's that's enterprise software. And this event today kicked off with a Vine and YouTube star uh, taking the crowd through his creative process and showing us a little bit about his background story through generated AI images, um, followed by this amazing teaching artist named Aaliyah Bradshaw. And then we heard this, a freestyle rap session by Harry Mack using 10 words that were generated by Jasper AI. Will, you're looking very relieved that I did not ask you to freestyle rap after all. But you were there for this. I, I was ready. I was itching to go. What did you like make of this? What did you make of the fact well, that they were trying so hard to be yeah. hip at this event? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, it was, I mean, it's sort of contradictory in a way, right? Because they talk about creativity. But the, the example of the that, that rap is um, just showing how how much better a person is at actually doing, <laughs> being genuinely creative. Right. I, mean, I don't think Harry's job is going away anytime no. soon. Well, no, yeah. And so I, I I don't, it doesn't seem very creative, like the, the sort of stuff that you do with this. It seems like it's kind of taking a very sort of average um, of lots and lots of marketing emails. It's ingested and, and helping you produce something that's possible. Mm. But I, th I feel almost like you want to take a look at what it produces and then do something else to, to actually try and be creative so maybe it's not a bad way to kind of like inspire you to to be a bit more creative yourself like like I, when i am in gmail and it's suggesting the next word i'm like oh, i definitely can't use that one because that's that's what it's going to expect um but i also there was um there was an interesting talk by um someone from mit who studies the way people understand ai and one of the things that she mentioned was like how do people feel when they know that something's been made by ai and i sort of can't help wondering, like, if people know that the vast majority of the emails they're getting, marketing emails, are made by an AI, are they just going to discard them much more readily? I, I, I would, I, I mean, an an AI poem for Valentine seems like a cop out to me. It doesn't feel like you're actually putting much effort into it. It still has novelty, though, right? Like, hey, right. I typed things into a computer <laughs> and made this for you. It's like, oh, that's cute. And I think like it still passes as novel now because we're in this moment where this is all exciting and new. But yeah, in three months, that might, that might be lazy. It's like buying the giant Valentine's card. It's just a novelty and it's not really that much better. <laughs> I talked to one woman at the event who not only uses Jasper AI herself, as well as a competing product called SonicWrite, but she teaches it now. She's a consultant for these technologies, and she helps people who typically work in very low-tech jobs like trade associations. She'll work with um, a painter's association for house painters or plumbers, and these are people who either don't typically have content marketing teams, or if they do, they're outsourcing it. And so the end result may not be very personal. And she's teaching them how to craft 
posts for like Facebook, right, as an example, to promote their business. And one of the things she talked about is how when you use these tools, you can sort of train it on an avatar. So you could say like, this house painter wants to target Sabrina the soccer mom in this part of the country. What kind of language should they use in order to craft something to get the right tone to put that out there and she was saying i mean she just really thinks she thinks like this was a stat that she was guesstimating but she she thought that it would make people at least 20 percent more efficient in the areas of content marketing and advertising that's it's really interesting there um i was talking to someone on the engineering team at jasper and one of the things they're looking at is how you give a, a feedback a signal around like how successful something actually is. So you can imagine that 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 kind of content, they'll know whether the email's opened and acted upon. And so you could you can see how definitely things like se- selling stuff, I can see it just becoming really, really nicely optimized for that kind of impact. And, and that to me struck me as more of what the conference is really supposed to be about, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of conferences put on entertainment. And so there were elements of creativity on display, real elements of creativity on display. But at the end of the day, Jasper is selling to businesses. This was all about leveling up in business, right? Right, right. I feel like the guy showing you his history of how he uses generative imagery in his work and then the the rapper, that it does feel like feel good marketing to me. I wasn't there, but you know, I I followed along. While you were there and Lauren, you showed me some of these videos and it does feel, you know, like it's supposed to make you feel better about all of the different things that you can use these things for. But I I get the feeling that people are going to go home and they're going to start applying it to their business and they're going to realize that it's just not super useful for them. I don't know. I mean, I have to say I've already I have not used it to write Wired articles. I do not anticipate doing that, but I have used it. I've used it as a way to filter search results because like let's say i'm looking for an expert in an area i type that into google right now it spits out a whole bunch of search results Um, maybe i have to go to google scholar to find the person i'm actually looking for then i might read through their papers you know then i might figure out okay they actually expert in this area where have they been quoted before are they a valid source are they still at this place you know with like you can actually ask open ai chat gpt for like a list of sources who specialize in this area and it will spit out a list of names wow some of them are real. <laughs> and some are not hallucinated. <laughs> no, I mean, I know that there's a lot of people who, one of the things, one of the reasons why Jasper is a hot topic in, in the tech world is because there are, it has a lot of paying customers. And there seem to be, supposedly there are four people with Jasper tattoos. Um, what? Who, yes. Did you meet any of them today? No, I did actually ask. I don't think they came to the I conference. have one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Wait, the people I with do the not. tattoos didn't come to the conference? Wouldn't this just be their Super Bowl? I guess it, yeah. I don't know why they didn't come there. They're too busy, <laughs> too busy just typing into Jasper. <laughs> too busy getting Gen- more tats. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, but yeah, it, it seems like some people really love it. And maybe it's quite specific to the that sort of job, you know, as you say, just generating stuff to sell. Um, I don't know. It's it's it's. I don't think it's, I think you're probably more right in the idea that generative AI is going to revolutionize everything is probably going to fall really short. And there's just going to be certain sort of low hanging things you can really automate, which is includes like writing mm. emails to just kind of spam people. Yeah. 
<laughs> I'm so curious now. I want to know how many people out there have tattoos of, and I'm not saying Jasper AI is a failed startup, but people who have tattoos from like 10 or 20 years ago from failed startups, I'd love to know. Well, it used, oh, it used to be a... called Jarvis, and one of the people has the Jarvis tattoo. No. <laughs> yes, sadly. Is so. there a logo with that too? I, be I believe so, yeah. I haven't seen oh, these dear. tattoos. It's apocryphal, but... Oh, yeah. dear. I do have a, a Cosmo tattoo and a web van tattoo. <laughs> yeah, I have yeah. pets.com. Yeah, I saw your pets.com. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to give you our very human generated recommendations. All right, Will, as our guest of honor, what's your recommendation this week? Okay, I, I wasn't really prepared, so I've pulled this out of some recess of my brain. I was wondering the other day whether um, the cat circus that I went to with my nieces was still touring. Uh, the original name was The Amazing Astro Cats. It was started by this lady who for somehow figured out that her cat uh, had was able to perform tricks in return for treats, and she's grown this into a empire of of a traveling cat show basically and it's as as chaotic as you'd imagine with the cats in the audience and um, she even has like I think a uh, a groundhog and a chicken doing various things but it's <laughs> I highly recommend it it's very fun <laughs> and um, yeah it's uh, just great to see some lower forms of intelligence as we're worrying about AI <laughs> we still have dominion over these small lesser do we really though we probably cats? don't know yeah. it's true good point as long as they don't have thumbs, then we're fine. <laughs> Some cats do. I hate to break it to you, but they do. So <laughs> we're, we're what does Leona have One of my cats no. is... No. But the, some cats have little thumbs. They're yeah. not really opposable, but they... Yeah. One so. of my cats has double dew claws. She's polydactyl, so she has two dew claws. So she has these oh, big wow. thumb-looking things in the back of her front paws. It's very disconcerting. Cool. Yeah. My cat doesn't have thumbs, but he still messes stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> including like my legs <laughs> by the way we're all cat people here yeah like, all of us in this room this is now a podcast this is meow a podcast <laughs> <laughs> and so where can people see the amazing astro cats okay so i looked this up and they are currently touring in texas so you have to travel to texas I, but I, I would think it's a good reason to go to texas um and let's just hope they start touring I think they're further afield. According to their website, they are going to be touring elsewhere, Denver, Colorado, and Minneapolis, and and Madison, Wisconsin later this year, this summer. All the hotspots. But you can also watch them on YouTube. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Not the same, but how many cats are there? Uh, over a dozen. And I remember the woman saying, anything that has a brain and a food drive, you can train. So. <laughs> <laughs> It's reinforcement learning is what it is. It's, uh, That's right. Yeah. It is. It all comes back to AI. reinforcement models. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Will, thank you for that delightful recommendation. Mike, what's your recommendation? Uh, give me a treat and I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to recommend a Twitter feed. It's the World Bollard Association. Uh, Bollard, if you're not familiar, is a uh, – it's, it's like a big – pole that's stuck in the ground uh it's like a safety thing that they use to separate uh moving vehicles from pedestrians and cyclists so if you go down a street and there are these big poles along the curb those are bollards those are to keep 
trucks or cars from jumping the curb and hitting people on the sidewalk. There are also bollards that pop up out of the ground to like close a street to traffic to keep cars from going down a particular street. A bollard will pop up. Uh, Bollards will pop up while the light is red and then go back down into the ground while it's green. You can see all of these different kinds of bollards in the Twitter feed of the World Bollard Association. The Twitter feed is the first two words, World Bollard. So if you just go at World Bollard, you you can join the World Bollard Association. It's delightful because a lot of the images and a lot of the videos that they show there are of drivers who think that they are smarter or faster than a bollard, and they are not. So there's a lot of wreckage (laughs) of cars slamming into bollards, of drivers not seeing a bollard and plowing right into it, or trying to go before it's all the way into the ground and then getting stuck on it. Uh, almost always a luxury German sedan, like an Audi or a BMW. Weirdly, I don't know why. It's just a thing. Anyway, uh, it's great for a laugh. It's uh, one as like a cyclist and a smarter streets and a safer streets advocate and a pedestrian in a big city. I love bollards. I love it when they mess up an expensive fancy car because you know that person just learned <laughs> just learned a life lesson. <laughs> About where not to put your four wheels. Anyway, I love it. It's awesome. The World Bollard Association. Strong follow, wreck. So um, when do you plan to go on tour with the amazing Bollard Circus? I'm already on tour with the Bollard Circus. <laughs> I ride my bike around San Francisco touching all the Bollards. And then I put on my MetaQuest headset and I go into virtual reality and I touch all of the virtual Bollards. <laughs> and you jack into the metaverse. Frequently. Um, speaking of the metaverse, what's your recommendation, Lauren? Speaking of the metaverse, <laughs> <laughs> I was stretch. <laughs> now you're making me think that I should recommend Angela's Q&A with Keanu. You should. Well, everyone should absolutely read our colleague Angela Watercutter's Q&A with Keanu. The Keanu. Uh, that's not my recommendation this week, though. My recommendation is a CBC News, that's a Canadian broadcasting company documentary called Big Dating. This is in honor of Valentine's Day, the day in which we are taping this podcast. It's an hour-long documentary series about the business of dating app companies, how they operate, how they tap into your desire for love in order to generate profits, some of the tensions that exist between privacy and safety on those platforms, some of the scams and hacks, and some success stories as well. I happened to participate in this documentary. It was really fun. I shot it with CBC late last year. I talked a little bit about some of the reporting I've done on dating app companies here for Wired. Um, And I just really enjoyed participating in it. I'm not not in it that much. And this is not like a totally shameless plug. Uh, But it's a a really informative documentary. Nice. Because, Because you're in it. Uh, no, I mean, my mom would say that, like, you know, she'd like scroll forward through like, the, you know, through all the parts where I pop up and she's like, you're great, you know, but yeah. Oh, also, sorry, mom. I, I do talk about dick pics in the documentary. So, um, yeah, but, um, that's just brief. Yeah. So it's not, it's not super kid friendly, this documentary, but it's worth, I think it's worth checking out. I think CBC did a great job with it. Where can people watch it? You can watch it on CBC News's YouTube. You can also, um, Find it on the CBC Explore app on Roku TV and in the Tubi streaming app. Tubi, having a moment this week. Yeah. We talked about during the Super Bowl. Or if you live in Canada, you can just turn on the television and find the program that's not hockey. 
and it's probably the sure. CBC documentary. Yeah, get your poutine ready, crack a Molson, check out the documentary. Back bacon. It's all about the back bacon. <laughs> all right. That is our show for this week. Thank you, Will, for joining us. You're very welcome. It's Thanks. It's been a real delight. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. Our producer is the very excellent Boone Ashworth. Goodbye for now. We'll be back next week, unless generative AI takes our jobs. Before I let you go, I did want to read to you the rest of the ChatGPT love poem for ChatGPT. With every word you speak to me, my heart beats faster, filled with glee. You understand my every thought and all my secrets you have caught. It's not creepy at all. You know just how to make me smile and keep me company for a while. Your patient nature and your grace are like a warm and soft embrace. I know you're not a human heart, but still you've played a special part in helping me to feel at home and never have to be alone. So thank you, ChatGPT, my dear, for all the love and kindness here. I'll treasure every word we share and know that you will always care. Until you take my job. <laughs> but which vacuum cleaner should I buy? It still didn't answer my question. Hi, everyone. Michael from Gadget Lab here. I want to tell you about our friends over at The Big Take podcast from Bloomberg News. Each weekday, they bring you one important story from their global newsroom, like how AI will upend your life or why China's targeting the U.S. dollar and maybe how Joe Biden plans to take on Donald Trump. Oh, boy. Check out The Big Take, a daily podcast from Bloomberg, wherever you listen.